And if you brought a Bible, would you open it to the book of 2 Corinthians? Now, everybody knows that's where we're going because uh, we've been reading the book of 2 Corinthians for a few months now. And uh, we've, we're, we're getting to that point, and it's always bittersweet because I love to come to the end of a book and you get to see how it's wrapped up. You get to see how it's tied together. But it's always a little sad because we're having such a good time reading this book uh, of 2 Corinthians. And uh, we've come upon 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We already uh, did half of that last week. And we're going to get to the, the second half of that chapter. And I believe that it's going to be something that encourages you and gives you hope. You know, when we come into the body of Christ... It's interesting, not everybody comes in at the same time. Some come in early, some come in late. Uh, some people are new at this, some people feel like they've been doing it for, you know, for eternity. But no matter where you are, God does not say there is a probation period before you have a place in the body of Christ. Now, there may be certain things that you are called to do someday that there's a time of training to get there. But the moment you become born again, the moment you receive Jesus, you are placed in his body. You are part of the church. You know, you might say, oh, I don't go to this church. This is not my church. And God didn't ask you whether you were going to this church. When you were born again, you became part of his church. And his church is all over the world. And his church meets in all different types of buildings and, and outside and, and in every area. His church is big. And you became a part of that church. And the Bible says that the church is the body of Christ. And, of course, it goes on to tell us that in the body there's different parts. That if you, are, if you were just a body full, made of arms, it wouldn't be very practical. Your body is made up of different, unique, diverse parts, right? And they work together quite well. I mean, your body is so fearfully and wonderfully made. It's so, it's so crafted by a masterful creator. That, that we're still discovering things about it that we didn't know 10 years ago. We're still discovering things about our brain. We're still discovering things about our internal organs that we didn't know before and how they work together and how they were designed for a purpose. Well, as, as cool as our physical bodies are, some are cooler than others, right? But as cool as they might be, God has, it, there's an even more intricate design in his body of Christ that is the church. So when you got born again, you stepped into something. Now, the Bible does tell us that there are different, people are different levels, people are different stages. Scripture talks about, uh, you know, when you first got born again, it says, you know, you need, you need milk to drink. You don't start trying to feed a baby steak right away. That's a, that's a bad idea, isn't it? It's not going to work. And so when you first get born again, maybe you you, you learn the basics, you learn these things, and, and God doesn't just throw you into a, a position where you're having to make huge decisions for everybody because there's a time of training and growing up. But I don't want you to think that that time is a time of doing nothing. The moment you received Jesus, you became a functioning part of the body of Christ. Now, the scripture talk, we read on uh, Sunday, we read about how he said, you know, somebody that's overseeing a church should not be a new convert. Because that's a whole lot to be on somebody's head if they just got saved. And there's a whole lot that they have to deal with. And yet, that new convert does have a place in the body of Christ. There is something for you to do. When we talk about the grace of God, often when we think about the grace of God, we think about the grace of God that we received when we first were born again. We were forgiven, right? We talk about the grace of God like uh, referring to how big our sin was, but God's grace was, was even greater. But, you know, the word grace does apply to more than just that. The word grace, the concept of grace, is more than just uh, applying to forgiveness or salvation. The concept of grace is all through the New Testament. And, and really, it, at its root, it's God doing what you couldn't do. When you were born again, Jesus did something you couldn't do. He took your sin. He took your punishment. He lived a perfect life. And so when we received His grace... When we accepted the message of the cross and the message of the resurrection, we received his grace and we were born again. But you know, when you come into a, a, a place and you come into the body of Christ, the Bible says that we are all working to be, or not working, but we are all wanting to be stewards 
of the manifold grace of God. Peter wrote that. He said, he said that the one who speaks should get up and speak as if God's going to speak through him because he is. He says the one that serves, serve in the strength that God gave you. Serve in the strength that he supplies. You know, it's so easy for us to imagine that the guy with the microphone should rely on God for every word that he says. But yet when I'm cleaning the bathroom, oh, well, this is just my ability. But you know what? He says that the one who serves, serve in the strength that God gives. In every area in the body of Christ, God wants to supply his grace for you to work in so that you're not doing it on your own strength, you're doing it in his strength. And how much better, I know, I know, you know, thinking of certain tasks like shoveling snow, and you go, how, how could that possibly be a spiritual thing? Will you be surprised how God can work when you let him work through you? And so here we've come to the, to the second half of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and it's getting really good. Because here we're going to learn uh, about how we see our place in the body, about how we honor the, the place that God's given us, and how we rely on His ability, we rely on His grace to do it. And we don't try to compare ourselves to other people, thinking that they're better or, or that uh, you know, they've got a, a, a better gig than we do. We rely on Him. So look at this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Before we get started, I just want to say, you know, I know it's a paradox that when you're downstairs in children's ministry, the number one thing they're saying to you over and over again is sit down and be quiet. And then we get you up here and go, you guys are too quiet. I know that's tough to wrap your head around, but it's just the way it is. So, you know, feel free to, to not be so, so serious and quiet that we can't really get into what God's saying. <laughs> and I know it's respectful, and I don't want you to shout me down and go, I heard that on TV once. Um, but, you know, we are, we are a church that believes in amens every now and then. So there you go. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. For we, not, we are not bold to class ourselves or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. Do you know what it means to commend yourself? It means that you're self-promoting. You're the one that says, this is what I've got going for me. And, and he's really referring to those. Uh, you've got to remember, he's talking about some, some teachers that came in, some so-called apostles, even though they really weren't, that came in and, and tried to change the course of the Corinthian church and tried to take it over. And when they came to this church, this church said, well, well you know, Paul is the guy that started this. And we know it's God's church. It's not Paul's, but, but still, we know that that uh, God, God sent Paul to us to minister to us and be the apostle for this church. And, uh, you know, we don't really think that you should come in and take his place. And so what, they, what these false apostles started to do was to put down Paul and his, and his fellow workers and, and to bash their ministries and to say, well, does Paul have this? And uh, what about this? And they bring these letters of commendation that would say, look at what someone wrote about when I visited their church, about what happened. And they'd really puff themselves up. And they would puff themselves up so that, uh, puff themselves up and at the same time pop everybody else's bubble so that they would rise to the top. And we know that any minister that does that is not a true minister of God. To be in ministry, you have to first be humble. That's the beginning of it. You've got to humble yourself before God and know that anything good that comes from your life Anything good that comes from your life is a result of him. And wherever he puts you, that's the best place to be. Too many times people are looking at these people up here or over here or over here or on TV or whatever, and they're saying, well, I just wish I was more like them. When God has created you unique, he has created you with a purpose, and whatever purpose he's called you to is the best place for you. It is the most wonderful place. It's the place where you're blessed. It's the place where his strength is more than enough for you. It's the place where abundance is. Don't try to move into somebody else's track. Stay in your lane because that's where God is. And so here he says they commend themselves. Earlier he talked about this, and he said, you know, if anybody's going to commend themselves, don't commend yourself. Let God commend you. The scripture says in another place, it says the puffed up, the proud, they're going to get popped. They're going to be humbled. But the humble 
God will exalt. It says in another place, it says, let God, let God exalt you in due time. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up at the right time. Never try to push yourself. Never try to step on someone else to get up the ladder. Never try to promote yourself to get somewhere. If God wants you there, he is able to promote you. He is able to commend you. He is able to exalt you at the right time. Your job is to humble yourself in front of him. Now, I don't want you to think that humbling yourself means that you're supposed to forever go around saying, I couldn't do that. I never could. You know, I'm lousy. You're much better than me. Because that, as nice as it sounds, is still incredibly self-centered. If, I, if, if, if you really, if God was calling you to go somewhere and speak to, some, to a group of people, and he said, I want you to go and take my gospel to this community. Oh, but this person's probably much better, and I've never been much. What you're saying is, I'm going to go, and I'm going to do my best in my ability, but it's not going to be enough. And you know what? You're right. But your attitude, instead of saying, oh, I'm not good enough, somebody else, is, is to say, you know what, nobody's good enough for this. That's why God steps in, and his grace is sufficient for me. So if he called me, I can go. If he called me, he can anoint me, he can equip me. If he called me, I can do anything through him who strengthens me. Moses ran into that, I mean, came across that burning bush, and you know, as he looks at that burning bush and God speaks to him in this time, and God is saying, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. What did Moses say? I can't. I stutter. I, I don't speak well. I, I, he'll never listen to me. And God said, listen, Moses, you're bringing my word to them, not your word. I'm the one that's sending you. Jeremiah. God called Jeremiah. We read this a couple weeks ago. God called Jeremiah. And, and, and said to him, Jeremiah, I want you to say these things to my people. You're my prophet. You're my guy. And Jeremiah goes, I'm too young. I'm just a youth. They won't listen to me. And God says, I'm going to give you my words to speak. Where I send you, you'll go. I didn't ask you to come up with something. I didn't, I didn't ask you to come up with a speech for them. I didn't ask you to, to, to muster up something and, and try to move them by your own ability. I'm sending you. I'm the one that's going to speak through you. So, he, so God actually told him, he said, never again say I'm a youth. Now, we sent the youth downstairs already, right? So all of us are like, well, I never say that. That's not my issue. But we've substituted that word with something else often. I can't because I'm, and fill in the blank. All these reasons why I'm not qualified. And you've got to come to the, uh, just the full, to the root of you, the belief that nobody on their own ability or strength is qualified to carry this ministry or this gospel of Jesus Christ. He's the one that qualifies you. And in him, you are more than qualified. The Apostle Paul, who we probably think of as the greatest apostle. Now, I'd say pretty easily Jesus, was, Jesus is the greatest of everything, right? But Jesus didn't call himself an apostle. He sent out the apostles. And I'd say the Apostle Paul probably, you know, you might say, well, Peter and Paul, but we're actually going to read that it's not good to compare, so forget that. But we'd probably, we'd probably say he's one of the best, right? He wrote a huge chunk of the New Testament. He, God gave him some revelation in some areas that, that set the church on fire in a good way. <laughs> and so if anybody... We would say, if you could just come to 2013 and do what you do, and if, if Jesus' name was off the table, we'd probably pick Paul. Come on now. You can come and preach at our church. You can, you can come and do the circuit. But Paul said this. He said, out of all the apostles, I am least qualified. I am least fit to be an apostle because I persecuted the church. But then he said this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. What was he? He says, I'm an apostle. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And he wasn't, he wasn't wormy about it. He wasn't wimpy about it. He knew who he was in Jesus. He knew who he was called to be. And he said, it's by his doing that I am who I am. It's by his ability that I do what I do. It's by his strength I can do anything. And so 
I, it's no longer Paul that lives, but Christ that lives in me. So by his grace, I am what I am, and that's an apostle. And then he says, and his grace to me did not prove in vain, for I worked harder than everyone else. But it wasn't me working, it was the grace of God working in me. Isn't that wonderful? Here he says this. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. And so it's a huge trap for you, no matter what God's called you to, it's a huge trap for you to fall into, for you to start comparing yourself to other people, even other people who are called to the same area. For you to start comparing yourself to them, whether it's comparing yourself to them to make yourself feel better, or when you compare yourself to them, you feel smaller. Either way, it's wrong. And when you get before the king of all kings at that last day, and he says, what have we done? What, let's, let's talk about your life. Let's talk about, let's talk about the, the things that I've sent you to do. And when you, when you talk to him, he's not going to put you side by side with other people. And say, all right, we're going to rank you here. We're, we're going to compare you to what this person did. We're going to compare you to what this person did. Oh, all you did, all you did was play the piano. But all, what they did was so much better. Those things, it's apples and oranges. He's not going to compare those things because all that he's comparing you to is what he called you to do and what he's doing through you in Jesus. And so you don't get compared to other people. And you should never try to do that to yourself. He said, if you do, you're without understanding. And I don't want to be without understanding, do you? No, we don't want to be without understanding. So forget this comparing and saying, well, that person's far more anointed than I am. How do you know? Well, they just got a better, they, they're called to so much more than I. How could I ever reach that standard? The only one you should ever compare yourself to is Jesus. And you don't compare and say, well, huh, I'm so far. You, he's your standard. He's your goal. That's the only one you should look at. And he says this in the next verse, in verse 13. But we will not boast beyond our measure. That's interesting. Because if we were to write this, we'd probably say, we will not boast. Right? You just don't finish the sentence. We will not boast. Wasn't boasting bad? But he says, we will not boast beyond our measure. In other words, we're not going to claim to be something more than what God called us to be. We will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere, which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. What does that mean? That means that they are very aware and, and familiar with the fact that God has called them to something and God has enabled them to do what he's called them to do and that is their sphere. That's the area they've been placed in. And he says, we're not trying to go beyond our sphere. We're just trying to be where God put us. And the place where God put us, inside that sphere, there's more than enough grace for us. There's more than enough strength for us. There's more than enough provision because we're in the right place. We're where God put us. And we don't have to worry about, well, the grass is greener over there. The grass is greener wherever God puts you. And you know what? It gets greener when you water it. And so when God puts you here and God put, gave, you, gave you something and called you to something, even if it's only for a season, that's your sphere. That's where God's put you. And if you understand that and, and not just, you know, I, I used to think, I used to say it this way. You need to be okay with the sphere that God's given you. But even that's wrong. Because even that's kind of like, well, i got to accept it. I'm never going to be like them. Don't just be okay with what God's called you to. Celebrate it. Be, rejoice in it. Because that is the highest calling. And you know what? The scripture talks about those who are without honor in this earth. He talks about those that have a job that maybe nobody looks at. He said there are members of the body that don't get as much honor. They're, they're not on the platform all the time. They're not on the posters. But he says, those guys, the Lord God is going to heap more abundant honor on them. Isn't that wonderful to know? That he's not measuring by the same standard you're measuring. He doesn't see success the same way you see success. And a successful life to him is not going to be who got, the most, who, who, who got the, the most people at a meeting or, you know, um, really even who touched the most people. What he's going to compare it to, what he's going, the evaluation you're going to get is based on what he called you to do. 
And there are those that feel like they're least in the kingdom that are actually great in the eyes of God. So here we see this. We will not boast beyond our measure. Our measure is what God has given you to do. It's what he's given you. It's what he's apportioned to you. He said, but within the measure of the sphere. Now, so we know a sphere is like a circle, right? You just think about wherever God's put you. Now, whether that's a place in the church or whether that's the job that he told you to, to, to take and that's where you are every day spending 8, 9, 10, 11 hours a day. That's the sphere that God has given you. And you need to know that within the sphere, if he's called you, now, if God didn't call you to it, why don't you just leave it? You know what I'm saying? You say, well, God didn't call me to that job. Well, why don't you just pray about what job you're supposed to be in? And he might say, actually, you're in the right place. And he might say, no, I want you to move. You know, if, if you haven't figured out yet whether you're in the right place, it's time to ask him because he's faithful to tell you. That's not like he only tells his favorite people. The Bible says those that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So Jesus said this. He said, I don't call you a slave anymore. I call you a friend. He says the difference is a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. So by implication, that means if I'm not a slave and a slave doesn't know what his master is doing, well, then he must want me to know some things. He, wa- he must want to share some things with me. Of course, it says in 1 Corinthians 2 that we have the same spirit. He's given us his spirit that searches even the depths of God, that we would know the will of God and we would know the things freely given to us by God. So it's so important that you know you're in the right place. And when you do, you don't say, well, it's a small place. You say it's the right place. And if it's the right place, there is more in this sphere than anywhere outside of it. This is where God called you. You get excited about it. You, you, you get thrilled about it. You don't look longingly over at somebody else's task and say, oh, I wish I could do what they do. No, you say, thank God I got put here. And that sphere will change over the course of your life. Very, very rarely does somebody do the same thing for 50 years. But no matter where you are, if you say, this is where God put me, and that is a world where he is, where he dwells, that's where the, that's where the provision is, that's where the supply of strength is, that's where his grace is for you to do whatever he's called you to do. He said, God apportioned it to us as a measure, which means God gives you your role. Not, not anybody else. God places you. The Bible says in another place, it says that God is the one that puts everybody in the body just as he desires. Not where your mom wants you. And I'm not saying that because my mom's there. I'm saying, I'm saying that because when you grow up, everybody's mom's got an idea for your life. It's not where your spouse wants you. It's not where your, it's not where your pastor wants you. It's where God wants you. And he places you there as he desires. And so if he's the one that puts you there, you should be very thrilled that you're there because he obviously trusted you enough to put you there. And you may think, well, it's small. It's not small if God's in it. So here he says, this place, this sphere, which God apportioned to us as a measure, it reaches even as far as you. You guys in Corinth, it reaches you. You're part of our sphere. He says, we're not trying to go beyond it, but you're part of our sphere. You're part of the place that God called us to. And then he says this. He says, for we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. Once again, he says this, not boasting beyond our measure. That is in other man's labors. But within the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere, enlarged even more by you. So as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and to not, not to boast in what's been accomplished in the sphere of another. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. Now that's so important. He who boasts is to boast in the Lord. And that takes care of all your arrogance. That takes care of all your pride. That takes care of all your self-doubt. And your, your own putting yourself down, your poor self-esteem. If you just say, I'm going to boast in the Lord. That everything good he's done, he's been the one that did it. 
Everything good that's going to come out of my life is from Him. Everything that He's called me to do, He's going to get it done. And so I boast in the Lord. It doesn't say we don't boast, but we boast in Him. Look what the Lord has done. I mean, that's a wonderful thing to say, isn't it? Sometimes we don't want to toot our own horn. You don't need to. You say, this is what God's doing in our life. If without Him, we couldn't have done any of it. But this is what God's doing. Growing up as a musician, it was always tricky to do that. You're always trying to figure out what's the appropriate thing. I remember when I first started playing, I started out on the bass. And I remember first playing the bass, and people say, oh, you did really good. And you, you didn't know how to take a compliment. You know, you're like, well, if it was Jesus, which is true. But then again, if it was all Jesus, it would have sounded better. And so <laughs> there's a little bit of, <laughs> you're trying to learn how to respond. Do I say thank you? You know what? It's appropriate. If somebody says you did a good job, just say thank you. The Lord, I mean, his grace is sufficient for me. He did, he did it through me. It was wonderful. You don't have to feel like you're apologizing every time somebody compliments you. But understand in your own heart that, it, that it's not you that's doing it. It's him. And when you do that, you're not competitive. It's the same spirit that works in Tony that works in me. So we're not competing. We're on the same team. We're part of the same body. If your hand's competing with your feet, you're going to be disabled. It's not going to work. You need to, I mean, they need to work together. Your eyes don't try to hear things. You know, you don't cram food up your nose because your nose wants to taste once in a while. At least you shouldn't. You've got to be comfortable in what you're called to do. And if you're an ear and, and your hero is, a, is an eye, and all your life you're trying to be an eye, you'll be a very frustrated ear. Right? In all reality, you will be frustrated because you don't know why I just can't do it like they do it. But maybe it's because that's not what you were supposed to do. It's not what you were made to do. So find out where God's put you and celebrate it. And say, where he's put me, his grace is sufficient. It's more than enough. He has given me a sphere, and in this sphere, I am I'm blessed, I'm excited, this is where I'm supposed to be. Because, hey, I mean, just know this. If you're in a job and God puts you there, or even if you're in a job and maybe you're thinking about moving, wherever you are right now, you are in a unique position to reach people that nobody else can reach. I mean, come on, guys. Some of you guys are in jobs where the peop- those guys in your jobs wouldn't give me the time of day, but they would give you. And they see you. They see your life. And they know you. you have got a, you've got a position. You've got a place that God's put you. And not just that. It's not just, you know, well, natural, you know, we happen to be close, so there's an opportunity. You're not selling Amway here. We're talking about the Spirit of God. So this isn't salesmanship where I'm in a good position to sell you something. We're talking about God. So he's going to go way beyond your ability. You may be a stammering, stuttering, never read a book in your life, and yet God will make the words flow out of your mouth like you've never heard them before. And I know many of you have experienced this, that moment where you're talking to somebody and you're going, I'm learning something here. You ever had that? Are you writing this down? I need to read it later. I don't know where I got this from, but at the right time, well, that's God. That's his grace working through you to do beyond what you could do. That's how it's supposed to work. You're not supposed to just kind of think, oh, I've got to win more people to Jesus. I've got to win more people to Jesus. If I don't, I'm in so much trouble. And then you go and you recite a script to somebody and then just wait for them to respond to you. That's not how God meant the gospel to be preached. You, you go there and you let him use you. Because he knows that person better than you know him. He loves them more than anybody ever could love them. And so he wants to reach them more than you want to reach them. And if you just let God use you in whatever sphere he's called you to, that's where you will find the fruit coming out of your life. That's really what he's called you to. He's called you first and foremost to be his kids, his sons and his daughters. That's your highest calling. You know that's the one thing you don't have to do anything about. You just are. But he did say he takes great pleasure and it gives God glory. It gives the Father glory when you bear fruit. And I'll tell you, to be honest, I found the areas in my life that have borne the most fruit are not, not by frantically trying to do more, 
But by asking the Lord, where have you put me? What have I been called to be? And when you really embrace that, there's, there's fruit just comes out of it. Stuff, I mean, it just you seem to do a lot better when you just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm not going to try to be everything. I'm just going to be who you've made me to be. Boy, isn't that a wonderful thought. I want to read you a couple of things here just to reinforce that. I want to read you something from Romans here. If we could turn to Romans. Romans chapter 12. He says this, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. Who gives him the authority to speak as he's speaking? Obviously, God has because he says, I'm saying this to you by the grace given to me. Now, what was that? He was called as an apostle. And so he says, I can say this to you because God gave me grace to minister to you in this area. By the grace given to me, I say this to you. Don't think higher of yourself than you ought to think. Now, that's very different than thinking highly of Christ in you. Thinking highly of yourself says, well, I'll do most of it, and God will make up the difference. But when you think highly of him, you say, it's going to be all him. I'm just going to let him do the whole thing. Now, he's going to use me. As Paul said, I worked harder than everybody else, but it was the grace of God working through me. It wasn't me on my own strength. So many times we treat the, the strength that God provides, we treat his grace like it's a supplement, like it's a, like it's a vitamin. Like it's that boost that you, just that little boost. It's that energy drink you need just to keep going through the rest of the day. And if you need an energy drink to keep going through the rest of the day, we need to talk. There's some, you're not living a healthy lifestyle if, if, if every day you need that energy drink. But, but you know what I mean. Sometimes we treat God's strength like, well, I will do my best and God will do the rest. Well, that's, that's nice. But it's, it's not what he told you to do. Did Jesus say, I'm doing my best and God will do the rest? Well, you, you're blind? Let me do my best first. What about now? Still blind. All right. Anybody got anything? Uh, you know, I've, um, let me just massage your eyelids. Does that help you? No, it's not helping. Okay, God, you've got to do it. I've tried everything I can do. Did he ever do that? I said, oh, everything I do is what the Father called me to do, told me to do. I didn't do anything without him. Without him, I'm nothing. Without me, you're nothing. So it's not just like, well, let's do our best, and God will make up the difference. What a waste. Just let him do it from the start and let him use you. Trust him and rely on him in every area, and you'll, you'll be amazed at what he does. It's, it's, it's humbling because when we got born again, you may have had this attitude of, this church is so blessed to have me because these are my skills. I bet they're glad I got saved. Because when I came into the kingdom, I came with a backpack full of goodies. I've got this degree, I've got this training, I've got this equipment, I've got lots of money, and all of these things, and you think that isn't Jesus blessed to have you? Well, you know he is happy to have you. But he's just as happy if you just lay that backpack down and start over. Now, he may use all that stuff. I believe that God uses those things. I believe that he redeems those things. But first you've got to lay it down at his feet and say, without you, I'm nothing. I'm starting as a baby. I'm not assuming that I'm bringing anything to the table. I'm going to let you do everything for me. Oh, it just frees you up. God is not depending on you. You are depending on him. Now, don't take that to mean you're not valuable. You are. But your value doesn't come from what you brought to the table. Your value comes from him. Here's what he says. 
through the grace given to me, I say to you, everyone among you, that means everybody, nobody's left out, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. That's good judgment. That's right judgment. As God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Then he goes on to say this. God has given us each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and we are individually members of one of another. Since we have gifts that differ, that's very important. We have gifts that differ. So for you to think that the top of the pyramid in the body of Christ is this gift is for you to make light of the gift that God gave to you. We have gifts that differ, and isn't that wonderful? We have gifts that differ according to what? To the grace given us. What does that mean? Does that mean that some people have more grace than others? No. Just means that the grace of God given to you is for a specific purpose, and that person's got a different grace on their life to do something else, but it's all the same spirit. It's all the same grace of God. It's just working in different areas. And so don't try to step into somebody else's grace when there's more than enough for you where God puts you. Don't try to, to run in their lane. Don't try to, to drift behind them. Just get where God called you to be, and you'll find that his wind is behind you, his strength is in you, and you'll do way more than you could ever do trying to be somebody else. Trying to be somebody else is just a nice way to get burnt out. And that's what happens very often in the body of Christ. You know, even in the area of um, being called to, to minister through speaking, you know, we might think, well, I'm, I'm called to, I know I'm called to preach, so I guess that means I'll be a pastor. Why? Did God call you to pastor or did he call you to preach? Because in Ephesians 4, there are five different gifts to the body of Christ that would involve that, that would involve some level of preaching and teaching. And not all of them, only one of them is a pastor. So just because you're called to preach doesn't mean you're supposed to be a pastor, doesn't mean you're supposed to be an apostle, doesn't mean you're supposed to be a prophet, doesn't mean you're supposed to be a teacher. And so often, unfortunately, what, what you see is you see people that, are, that know they're called, but the only person they're looking at, it was, they say, well, that's the only guy I got to look at, so I'll just try to be more like him. And they try all their lives to match the style and match the... The, the method of this other person that God called, and they're frustrated because they never can do it quite like that person can. But don't you think God called you in your own way? He called you to be obedient to his voice and to do what he called you to do, and it may not be the same thing as that other person. And this person's really funny when they preach. And this person's really serious. And you, you got your heroes, and you got your people you look up to. That's not how God works. He says, don't compare yourself with one another. That's not wise. And he says, we all have gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving. Or he who teaches in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Man, this is not even an exhaustive list. This is a very small list. But isn't it wonderful to know that all this time you've been trying to be somebody, all God wanted you to do was to ask him who you were and what you were supposed to be. And find your value in that. Find your strength in that. Find your joy in that. Don't buy into the concept that there are just certain, certain jobs in the body of Christ that are cooler than others. Don't buy into the concept that that some are just, you know, some are just going to be basically better than me for the rest of my life. Come to the knowledge and the belief that he, where he's placed you, there is a sphere. And in this sphere is everything you need to be who he calls you to be. And in this place, there, there's an opportunity for you to bear lots of fruit. There's an opportunity for you to to to. to be everything he's ever made you to be. As long as you realize that I don't need to be outside of this. I don't need to go, I don't need to be somebody else. I don't need to try to be more than I am. I just need to let him be who he is in me. And he's more than enough. 
And if the whole church, and I don't mean this church, I mean the body of Christ, if we all would get that revelation, we'd all be happier. We'd work together. We'd be less competitive. And we'd see the kingdom grow even more because we're not fighting each other to get in our, to get in our space. We would understand God's given us each a place. He's given you a place. Find it and grow there. Be excited that, that that's where he's placed you. Thank him for it. You know what? That sphere may get bigger someday. It may change. But right now, rejoice. For he's called you. He's equipped you. And don't let somebody put guilt on you because you're not somebody else. Be who you are. Now, I don't mean for you to define yourself. This is not a Disney be who you are. This is not, you know what, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I used to always think that the appropriate thing to say to a child is you can be whatever you want to be. There's an element of truth to that. But you know what an even better thing to say to your kids is? You can be whatever God wants you to be. Because I'll tell you, when you embrace what he wants you to be, you'll want it too. But that's really I mean, he loves you more than you love yourself. And I've said this before, but you could be the biggest egotist in the world. You could be the biggest egomaniac that thinks you're God's gift to everybody. And even then, your love for yourself wouldn't match his love for you. Now, you shouldn't be the biggest egotist. I'm not encouraging you to do that. That's, that's a road that leads to some pretty big destruction. I'm just saying... No matter how self-centered you are, you still couldn't love yourself as much as God loves you. So all the plans you made for yourself, all the dreams you dreamed, all the pictures you painted, God's got a better plan. And if you say, that's the one I want for my life, I want you to know he loves you. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm doomed. If I say that God will go wherever you send me, he might send me somebody somewhere terrible. He might send me somewhere I don't want to go. But if you'll embrace the fact that he loves you and he designed you and he created you and he knew you even when you were in your mother's womb, you'll say, wherever he sends me, that's the best place for me to be. And I might not, I might think, you're sending me there? Why? But when you get there, you'll know. That's where he put me. And I know I fit. I know why I'm here. Now, there's going to be times, friends, where we get confused or we get frustrated where we're at. We don't feel like we're moving anywhere. We don't feel like we're getting any traction. And that's where we need to step back because we all have grown up in the Canadian winters and we know that when you're in a rut in the snow, you don't just jam the accelerator because you just make a bigger rut. When you get frustrated and you say, oh, Nothing seems to be where I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And you just work a little harder. You're just digging a bigger rut for yourself. Do you know what you need to do? You need to step back and say, God, where do you want me? Spend some time in his presence. Take, take a break if you need to take a break. But just get back to that place where you're doing it for the right reasons, where you're, where you're, where you're living out of that well that's inside of you. You're living in the grace of God. You're living in his strength and his ability instead of your own. You're relying on him instead of yourself or instead of your spouse. You're really relying on him. And when you do that, you get new clarity. You get new vision. And God comes in. He pulls you out and he puts you back on the road. And, and you wonder why you ever tried to do it a different way. And I say this from experience as well as study because we've all been there. We've all experienced what it's like to be frustrated and want to be something else. And wish that we were doing as well as they were doing. But the only one you should ever measure yourself to, the only one you should ever look to as an example for your life. Now, I understand there's godly examples. Hebrews says to imitate those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. But the only one you're really meant to model your life after is Jesus. Trust Him in this. You've been given a sphere. In that place, you are qualified. In that place, you are adequate. In that place, you are equipped. In that place, you know who you are. Boy, I'd love to have a group of people around me that know who they are and are happy who they are in Jesus. They know who they are in Christ and they're confident with it. Like the Apostle Paul, I am who I am. Would you be able to say that?
mean, the Apostle Paul could have said this. Somebody could say, how could you call yourself an apostle? And he goes, well, I did do those things, I know. And, and he could go through all this explanation and apologies. But, you know, it ultimately comes down to this. I am who I am because of the grace of God. I am who I am because he did it. It wasn't me, it was him. Could you be confident enough in his calling? It's not your calling. And we call, we say that, but you know, Pastor Tracy has preached a wonderful message on that more than once when he's come to visit us, and I thought it was great. But how in the New Testament, it does not say that you know the hope of your calling. It says that you know the hope of his calling. You are called, but it's his calling. You have stepped into his ministry, not yours. And if you're confident in who you are, you're not trying to be somebody else. You're confident that you are who you are, not because you earned it, but because that's what God made you to be, and His strength is supplied enough, more than enough for you. You're empowered to do what He's called you to do. You're equipped for it. Then nobody can talk you out of it. Nobody can scare you out of it. Nobody can intimidate you. Nobody can make you feel like you're less than everybody else. But you understand, it's not I, it's the grace of God in me. I want to read you something from 1 Corinthians, just the introduction. 1 Corinthians 1, and we'll close with this thought. Back in the Bible times, everybody, um, you signed your name at the beginning of the letter rather than the end. To me, that makes more sense. I kind of wish we would do that today. Because, you know, if you get a letter, you immediately look to see who it's from before you start reading it, right? You don't treat it like a magical mystery. This is going to be interesting. The meaning of this letter is going to change drastically when I find out who it's from. This better be my wife, or else we've got an issue. (laughs) So the signing at the beginning kind of made sense. It's interesting how Paul signed this letter, 1 Corinthians 1. He signed it first with his name. That's the obvious one, right? Paul, then he says, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he says, I'm Paul. I've been called as an apostle, which means I didn't pick this. He picked it for me. I was called as an apostle by what? By the will of God. It was by the will of God that I was called to be an apostle. And Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, this is who I am. I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. I'm not an apostle by my will. I'm an apostle who is called, and I am appointed by the will of God, and I've been called to you. And very simply, that's how the letters begin. This is who I am. This is what I'm called to be. This is... But by what authority I'm called to be. And this is who I'm called to, called to be. And by this simple statement, he sets up the premise of the letter. Everything I'm about to say is not because I want to boss you around. Everything I'm about to say is not because I picked this. Everything I'm about to say is because God picked this. And he put me in this position. And by the grace given to me, I say this to you. And it's so important to know that. Because when you do, all of that self-doubt, all of that ungodly competition. Do you know, it's interesting, but throughout the New Testament, one of the first evidences of walking in the flesh is competition. You look at it. You look in the different places in the Bible, 1 Corinthians, you look in Galatians, where it talks about walking by the flesh, competition, jealousy, and strife pop up. Ephesians, same thing. It's one of the biggest evidences that you're not walking by the Spirit. You start to get competitive. You start to get jealous. You start to, you start to look at somebody else and say, I want your job. But we don't walk by the flesh. We walk by the Spirit. And in the Spirit, there's more than enough room for all of us to be different, to be unique, to be uniquely called to work together. Thank God. <laughs> Amen. These fingers on your hand are all different. Some of them are similar, but no, your, your fingers are different shapes and different sizes. The thumb is the weirdest one of all. The, the pinky could feel inferior. 
And yet, they work together beautifully. When you try to pick something up, the way God designed your hand is perfect. And in fact, it's their uniqueness that, that allows them to work together. Sometimes we say, I can work with other people, but I need to work with people that think like me. No, what a waste. What if your, hand, what if your finger said that? Now, if your fingers are talking to you, once again, you've got some issues, we'll pray. But what if your fingers were to say that? I can't, I can't work with them. I can't work with a thumb. It's too different from me. And yet, it's, it's how different the thumb is, is what makes it so great when it works together with the other fingers. What makes them different is what allows them to work the best together. And God's going to put you with people that are so different from you that you'll say, why? Why would you put me with these people? They don't communicate like me. They don't think like me. And that's exactly why you needed to be put together. Because God doesn't want a bunch of redundant twins walking around just saying, well, we hang out with each other because we're like each other. Because then you don't get the same amount of things done. When, when you're put in a body, you are distinctly called and unique and different. And that's a good thing. Now notice, make, make note of this before we end this. That your uniqueness is not based on what you brought to the table outside of Christ. It's not based on your little quirks of personality. Some of those things you've got to get past. What makes you unique is the call of God in your life. So don't just say, well, that's the way I am. I don't take baths. I'm unique. No, you may have to take a bath. Don't blame that on God. God made me unique, uniquely unbathed. No, that's you. What, what do you need to say? I am different in certain ways. I think different. I communicate different. I have different skills that God gave me. And I believe he gave them to me for a purpose. Who you are, you are in him. There are some things about your old personality that should probably go away. But those things aren't just going to go away. He'll replace them with new things. Now, you might be different. You might seem weird to some. But you are uniquely called and uniquely gifted the body of Christ. And I want you to know that you're valued more than you ever know. That when we look around, you might look and say, boy, I wish he had more people like this. But when we really look around, we say, thank God you gave us people so diverse and different. Because only then are we going to see the diversity of the body of Christ, the different manifestations of grace in the church that we're meant to have. You're valuable. Be more than okay with who you are. Be grateful. Be excited for the sphere that God's given you. Don't try to push into somebody else's. Find out where your sphere is and thrive there. And you know what? If you're at work, realize this is part of my sphere. And ask the Lord, what do I do here? I've never thought of it as a mission field before, but I am now. And find out what He has for you. Amen?